Welcome back to From the Bridge. This is Rick Jones, your captain, chef, and chief bottle washer, coming to you from the low country of South Carolina. The great Tennessee Williams once wrote, in memory, everything seems to happen to music. The sad thing about music licensing, and we do work for the largest music licensing company in the world in BMI, so I'll have to explain myself, but the saddest part for me is that we can't actually play the songs that we listen to as we prepare each podcast. I'm either hearing a song in my head or I'm hearing a song in the background as I prepare each episode of From the Bridge. This morning, the soundtrack in my head is the Al Jolson classic version of Carolina in the Morning. You know that when nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina in the morning. Well, it is a fine morning in Carolina today. Speaking of songs, many of you have asked me about our theme song each week from the bridge. It's called Gone Fishing, and it was written and recorded by the late, great beach music musician, General Norman Johnson of the beach music group, the chairman of the board. Today, I'm asking my lovely producer, Lindsay Collins, to play the entire song at the end of today's show. I think you'll like it. We're going to finish our series on Jeff Henderson's book, Know What You're For. Today, we'll talk about being for you, understanding what you individually stand for, and holding yourself accountable for those standards. And my special guest, Carol Stiff, who has led the Women's Sports Initiative at ESPN for over two decades, is the best example I know of being true to standards. She'll be here to talk about her amazing career and what's next for women's sports. So let's leave the pier and get this party started from the bridge. We started this series on know what you're for with being for the customer. Then we talked about being for the team. And then finally, we talked about being for the community. But the final step is being for you. What does it mean to be for you? Author Jeff Henderson says that too many people view success as being measured against others. Y'all know I'm a big Bob Knight fan, and Coach Knight wrote once several years ago, he defines success as performing to the limits of your potential. Your potential, not someone else's potential. And Jeff poses a question. How do we all get closer to our potentials? That means you, me, and everyone has to decide to pursue their own personal potential. Because Jeff quotes the great Chick-fil-A founder, Truett Cathy, who often said, if it's to be, it's up to me. Jeff writes that chasing potential requires us first to remain inspired. Inspiration drives us all, but it can be very fickle and vanish in a heartbeat. Remaining inspired while dealing with that old bugaboo, everyday life, (laughs) is the challenge. Remaining inspired when everyone else around you, especially at work, is finding ways to kill your inspiration. Jeff writes, you have to develop what he calls brand you. 
My pal Vince Thompson recently wrote a book about just that. Your personal brand is what you are for and what you are known for. So how does each of us improve ourselves? Well, Jeff lists seven ways, and we're going to get to each of those over the next few coming weeks. My very special guest today is the great Carol Steff, a legend in promoting women's sports at ESPN. Carol is one of my heroes for her tireless work to promote women's sports in a world that often seems to not get it regarding women's sports. They once said that the great actress, singer, and dancer Ginger Rogers could do everything her partner Fred Astaire did, only she did it in high heels and backwards. (laughs) That would be a great way to describe Carol Steff, who has worked successfully in the good old boys club for the betterment of women in women's sports. We've talked today about remaining inspired. Well, Carol remained inspired often in spite of what the world and even others at ESPN, for that matter, were telling her about promoting women's sports. We're coming up next year on the 50th anniversary of Title IX, the breakthrough federal legislation that led to the explosion of opportunities for women to compete in sports by forcing schools to provide the same opportunities for girls and women that they were providing for boys and men. So there's no better time than today to talk to Carol Steff, the Hall of Famer, about women's sports. Let's welcome Carol to the show. Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, we're glad to have you here. Let's, I always ask all my guests to start with the beginning. Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in a very small town called Bernardsville, New Jersey. And I lived on this road named Pill Hill Road. And we were the only living stiffs in the city or the town. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You know, it's interesting. So many of our guests grew up in a small town. And, mm-hmm. and it's interesting what small towns do. Because I think you, you, so many small town people got a sense of independence, I think, early because of being in a small town. Did you find that to be the case with you? Well, I was the youngest of six, so um, I had to find my independence, I guess. But um, I um, often went down the street and played with the, the boys in the neighborhood. There were no girls. Um, and none of my sisters like sports. So, um, yeah, I think the small town allowed you to find yourself uh, early on and, for me, you know, compete early. Well, did you always play sports? Yes. Yep. I think it's in my DNA. And and so where, where did you go to college? I went to school at Southern Connecticut State University. It was State College at the time in New Haven, uh, an excellent school for, for college basketball. And did you, at that point, think you always wanted to coach? Uh, I knew I wanted to get a degree in education, um, health ed and physical education. And coaching, I I really responded well to with my coaches. And I I just like being around them. And so I I knew I was going to end up in that direction. Well, we share that. I have a my undergraduate degree was in health and physical education. I, that's all I ever wanted to do was be a coach and and growing up playing, you know, all sports and doing that. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but was Coach Don Donaher your uncle? He certainly was. My mom, 
my mom had four brothers. She was the only girl. She was the oldest and the youngest was gone. And the, the three in the middle were, became priests. They all became priests. It was amazing. Priest and a basketball coach. Uh, that's, yeah. that's interesting. Uh, I don't, I don't know which one talked to God more. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, he, he's one of the, I think kind of one of the forgotten figures. He took Dayton to the final four. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and was a tremendous basketball coach. So I guess you, mm-hmm. you were able to see him and watch him, and that gave you kind of some some thinking about about maybe going into coaching. So you get so you get out of school and, and then what'd you do? So uh, the first job out of school, um, I, I obviously was having a hard time finding a phys ed position. They were hard to come by. And I got a call from Western Connecticut State University in Danbury. Uh, they had reached out to Southern and asked for some applicants for the head field hockey adjunct professor and could take some courses toward their master's work. And so my name uh, rose to the top. They interviewed me, and after the interview was over uh, on campus, they said, you got the job. And I said, fantastic. And I said, when do we start? And she goes, camp starts tomorrow. (laughs) uh, A lot of notice there. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got thrown into the fire. Well, that was, you know, I, I often think that when you do get thrown into the fire, then you just have to get after it. You just, you just, mm-hmm. you just start. And, uh, I would kind of think that maybe, you know, your role at ESPN was a little about being thrown into the fire too. When, when did you actually get to ESPN? So after West or Western Connecticut, I, I did coach for a total of five years on um, pivoted into basketball as a head coach at RPI in Troy, New York, and then finished my career at Brown University in Providence. And then in, in 1990 is when I made the pivot from coaching um, to come into this very small cable sports network that needed some help on their, <clears throat> excuse me, on their 10th anniversary uh, party. <laughs> and who doesn't <laughs> want to work on a party? But truth be known, all I knew was how to turn a TV on and off. I knew nothing else about television, but immediately fell in love with the fast paced, we can do it attitude. Um, you know, the small little blue engine going up the mountain. Um, we can do this. We can do this. And um, I just loved learning all about it. You know, showed up early for work, did whatever they asked me to do and um, fell into the programming department um, that same year. And so from there on, it was history in the making after that. But um, <clears throat> one day, a gentleman named who you might know, um, Tommy O'Jackson. Yep. Okay. Uh, Worked for us for years. Um, And he gave me my start in the programming of women's basketball. So a few years of learning about Nielsen ratings, a few years of coding and data inputting. And then one day he just came up to me, it was in September, and he said, look, I'm programming all college sports for ESPN. We only had ESPN at the time. He said, I just don't have time to get to the women's basketball scheduling. I know you played. I know you coached. So here are the files. Could you do this? And it was September. And usually by September, you know, your production has a schedule. And yeah, we're on our way. But um, yeah, so that's how it all started. You know, I'm a big believer in what I call personality and culture and matches. Uh, you know, we've we've talked about, you know, Jackie Robinson when he, you know, 
integrated baseball, was not only a great player, but Branch Rickey picked a guy that could take the abuse, <laughs> the personality. And I remember years and years later, Coach Bryant, the first black athlete he signed at Alabama, was a running back named Wilbur Jackson. And Wilbur Jackson's mama was a high school principal, and his daddy was a superintendent of schools, and he was another personality that could take it. You grew up playing with guys, mm-hmm. you know, and so mm-hmm. you get thrown in there really what's ESPN was a good old boys club, um, mm-hmm. and and you were able to navigate that in a way I think that maybe other women might not have been able to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And so now you've gotten this really great opportunity to start promoting women's basketball. So what happened then? So uh, let's see. So a few things happened. Um, one of the the first years on the job of putting matchups together, it was really simple, Rick. I mean, you look at depth charts, you look at who's recruiting who, and you have a sense of who's going to be strong in the next several years. The beauty of women's basketball in the college ranks is that they stay for four years. So you can really plan well um, for success. And so early on, I, I, I did put the, the UConn Tennessee game together, um, talking Pat into playing um, outside the SEC conference, which was really strong at the time um, to play UConn, who had this woman named Rebecca Lobo and Jennifer uh, Rosati and Jamel Elliott. And we're still really not known, but the game had to be between a, a biggie school at the time it was supposed to be ACC, but it turned out to be an SEC game. And so Pat, to her credit, said, for the good of the game, I'll take the game. So that that was one pivotal time. The other pivotal time in, in college basketball that helped me was the Olympic team of 96, winning the gold yep. along with, with all those women's teams, winning softball and soccer and gymnastics. And it was a golden opportunity, <laughs> using a, a pun there. Um, to showcase women's sports and especially women's basketball. So <clears throat> from there, we just started putting matchups together. Uh, and then we renewed our NCAA contract. That was massive for the growth. Uh, we became the exclusive home of the women's basketball tournament, also around that 95, 96 era. And what that rec allowed us to do was to own the tournament which is the crowning of a national champion. Prior to that, we only had four regional final games and CBS had the final four in the national championship game. So that's seven total games of women's basketball that was showcased nationally. And so um, as we went through the years, my years there, we kept adding on to our coverage. And, And most recently this past year, we produced every single game of the tournament in a full national window. And that's what the game deserved. So going back to 96, that was another pivotal time. And then in 1999-ish, no, let's go forward, like 2004, the Diana Taurasi era came along. And, you know, we had the UConn-Tennessee game still going strong. But what I noticed, Rick, was that all of our games were on Sunday afternoons. And if you know sports like I know you do, Everything is played on Sunday afternoons. Yeah, yeah. Tennis, terrible, terrible, yeah, terrible competitive window. Yeah, it's horrible. It's just it's it was just lost. And so um, after the the Diana Taurasi era finished, and we got these unbelievable NCAA tournament ratings, I uh, went into John Wildhack, who was the head of programming at the time. He's the AD at Syracuse now, 
And I said, John, look at these numbers. You can't argue. Is there any way I could have a prime time window during the week instead of a Sunday? So he did allow me to um, program on ESPN2 Big Monday, which we've had ever since John said yes to that. And then after that, fast forward again, we had some unbelievable um, Final Four numbers most recently in the last five years. So I went into Burke Magnus, now the head of programming, president of programming and acquisitions for ESPN. And I said, look, Big Money's great. It's on ESPN2. It's up against the ACC men. Is there another window I could have? I'm looking at Thursdays in January. Is there any chance I could get those four or five windows? I'll give you the very best matchups we can get. So he said yes. And now we have on ESPN four or five windows uh, with you know, always top, top 25, if not top 10 matchups. Well, I think a couple of things. One, you mentioned 96. Uh, We've talked about the 50th anniversary of Title IX uh, next year. I think 96 was the year that harvest came home. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you had so many elite women's athletes that had finally been given the fair amount of coaching opportunities and all that. And then it was a steady progression from that. The other thing I think a great lesson is you talked about Pat being willing to go up and play Gino and, and your matchups that you now have on Thursday night, these tend to be very nationally recognized games. And, and I think it's been the willingness of women's basketball coaches to say, this may not be the best thing for my program, but it's the best thing for the game. Uh, and mm-hmm. you, and you've been able to do that. You've been able kind of mm-hmm. to be the the glue that gets you know, you know people that have not been around women's basketball do not understand it is every bit as competitive and cutthroat as any other sport. Coaches mm-hmm. want to win and players want to win, but they've been willing to kind of put some of that aside mm-hmm. uh, to do to take advantage mm-hmm. of growing the game. I think there's a little bit more of a solidarity in the women's sports movement that I think is, is helpful. Did you find that to be the case? You know, funny you should mention that um, Jay Billis, um, maybe two years ago was writing about uh, the ACC. I think it's the ACC big 10 challenge or ACC SEC. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I no, can't it remember. is ACC big 10. That's they play that. Yep. Okay. Yep. So it's, it's not, it's not in the November, December era. It's in the, it's in the meat of the, of the, in the January. Season. Yep. Yep. And he went, he went on and on about this is great for men's basketball. You can step aside from your conference. You can play schools that you're going to possibly see in the tournament or at their caliber. And he went on and on and on. I had to just send him a text. I go, women's basketball has been doing this for years. And he just laughed and said, you know, kudos to you. But you're absolutely right. Uh, the I think it's fabulous for these schools to to take maybe their by date and go and play someone uh, that's that's nationally ranked, and not only helps their their um, their profile or portfolio, or whatever analogy you want to use for the tournament seating, um, but it also gets them ready, set, and go for the tournament. So um, we'll continue to try and push that. Um, I hope ESPN continues to do that. I think it's um, remarkable to have like a Baylor UConn game the first week of January. Uh, coming out the gate. Um, and um, like I said, I hope they continue to do that. But I want to get back to your one point about working with men in my in my tenure at ESPN. And 
um, I'm, you know, if we didn't have men um, that listened to reasoning uh, behind what we need to do to ele- elevate women's sports and women's basketball specifically, then I don't know where we would be. But there's some really great allies at ESPN that that have listened over the years. It's called diversity and inclusion. Um, it's a new demographic that we're seeing that that's um, engaging with women's sports. Therefore, we can sell to. So um, I just want to make sure I, I covered off on that point that you made earlier. Well, yeah, you know, it is interesting that um, the numbers don't lie. I mean, one of the, one of the great success stories is the women's NCAA softball championships on ESPN. I mean, unbelievable numbers. I mean, which proves there is an audience there if you will put us in a window that audiences are used to tuning into. Yes. Let me give you a little antidote on the softball. So early on in the softball, I I programmed – in 21 championships along with my basketball and the WNBA. Um, and so softball obviously fell under that umbrella. And we were playing a game, you probably know better, when Roger Clemens was pitching and he was on the mound. It was Memorial Day Monday. Uh, Yankees had just won the pennant the year before. And we go into a rain delay. And... Um, so we, we, we get into this rain delay and the women's championship softball game from Oak City was coming up around four o'clock or five o'clock um, on that Memorial Day Monday where most people are out picnicking. And um, I had to call the NCAA and just let them know that, look, we're in a rain delay in, in Yankee Stadium and by by rules with the Major League Baseball contract, we can't leave. Um, until the umpire either calls the game or we finish the game. So therefore, go ahead, throw your game, pitch your game, get out there and crown a national championship. We're going to tape delay it on Monday night. And trust me on this, I think it will outrate this Yankee game, um, and you're going to see great results. So sure enough, they play the game. We don't run it on the ticker who won. And wham, bam, home run was made that day and once again went back into John Wildtech's office and said, look at these numbers. Everyone was home getting ready for work the next day. Perfect location for that champ- crowning of a national champion. I said, you know, men's baseball has a super regional round of games and women only have regionals and then the World Series. Is there any way looking at these numbers we could put a super regional round of games in? And he said, if you can figure out the puzzle pieces, go for it. And so that's from that. Once again, the proof is in the in the pudding. Right. It's like unbelievable number. Great window. Therefore, we added more. So that's how the super regionals came around for softball. And then we put in the best of three finals um, after a UCLA Michigan championship game that rated unbelievably well. And I said, we need three of these. We don't need one of these. Um, so that's how the softball grew. I just wanted to share that with you too. It, it, it is fabulous. And it's, it's a lot of men watch it. It's amazing. A lot of men play softball. Oh, there's no question. I think, I think that, you know, somebody asked me one time, they said, Rick, when did you really become a champion of women's sports? I said, it was really easy when my daughter was born. 
I mean, mm-hmm. it's not. It's, I grew up in a family of all boys. I didn't, we didn't have any girls, <clears throat> and uh-huh. suddenly I have a daughter. Oh, <laughs> do I want my daughter to have the same opportunities? You damn right I do. That's um, right. And I think we we saw that, and <clears throat> and obviously at a time that Title IX had legislated schools mm-hmm. in the ability that they could no longer discriminate. They had to be able to offer those opportunities. But then, but at, you you were for a commercial enterprise. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was reminding someone earlier today, <clears throat> I don't think there's a money tree in Jimmy Pitaro's office. Um, you know, <laughs> things have to be commercially viable. And you had to go through and make sure that every step of the way, not leaps, but steps, you would prove women's sports would be commercially viable at ESPN. Yes. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm often asked, Rick, what, what keeps you up at night? And you might've seen this in, in an article or two, but what, what keeps me up still keeps me up at night is why women's sports isn't selling, um, in Madison Avenue. And I don't understand that, you know, these women stay in college for four years, they're role models. They volunteer in the community um, they, they graduate with a, a degree that could be in medicine or law while competing at, at the highest level in college. They know how to, um, uh, lead their leaders They're I could just go on for another hour here on the positive attributes of, of these female athletes. And for me, if I were, you know, the, the president of let's use target as an example, you know, why wouldn't I want my brand associated with that brand. And I was also always, you know, told, well, they don't rate Carol. The, the, when we, when we program, you know, the, the hours of programming that we have in our, they just don't rate. And I said, well, if we put them in a window where they could rate, then, then you're solving the issue. So, you know, getting out from that Sunday is, is massive. I'll give you another great example is the women's final four was on a, a Friday night on ESPN two and the NBA was on ESPN. Once again, went into Burke Magnus, showed them the numbers. We were outrating the NBA. We were outdoing the, the NBA on ESPN. It was a regular season NBA. It wasn't playoff time, but it was leading up to playoff time. And so this past year, and it would have been the year earlier, <clears throat> excuse me, if we didn't have COVID, we had already planned to move those national uh, semifinal games over to ESPN. Well, uh, one of the things that I, I don't understand <clears throat> is, is sometimes just the whole idea of ratings versus the loyalty of an existing audience and what their purchasing power is. Um, you know, I've always said there's a lot of wastage in ratings. Let, let's, let's take tires for a minute. When do you buy tires? When you need tires. Right. <laughs> okay, that's when you need tires. So how many people are watching a tire commercial today that need tires? Only <laughs> only those that need tires. And so I, I think sometimes there's a little bit of a, of a uh, you know, it's just a little overrated about ratings, um, mm-hmm. you know, from that standpoint. The other thing is Madeline Albright once said there was a special place in hell for women that won't help women. We have a lot mm-hmm. of women executives. Uh, we did mm-hmm. a study a couple of years ago, and the common denominator of women executives in C-suites mm-hmm. were they all played college athletics. 
Yep, 98%. Yeah. Okay. Now, I want to ask those women, why aren't you helping women's sports now? So I think we're seeing a movement in that direction, Rick, and I'm really excited to share that, you know, I worked on the WNBA and, you know, having Kathy Engelbert now as the commissioner, um, who you might know, you know, the CEO of Deloitte, I think she had 100,000 people reporting up to her. Now, if you look at the games, you see Deloitte all over the court. Um, she, we had, we ESPN and our sales group did a terrific job with Google this past off season. Google's, um, head chief of marketing was an Olympian rower, um, and Kate Jackson. And she is demanding to see the women's sports portfolio now and is doubling down on the WNBA and hopefully more of the portfolio. You see AT&T coming to the table now. Uh, run by women, and um, you look at Dick's Sporting Goods. Yeah, is great example. You know, they, mm-hmm. Yeah, great example. And then Nike, um, <laughs> Nike stepping it up a little bit more, which is nice to see. They they just released uh, some uh, advertising with Sue Bird and Megan Rapino. Timing couldn't be any better going into the Olympics, so that was well set. Um, and I think social justice um, has helped women's sports. And what we saw last year with um, George Floyd and, and uh, the demand for social justice and the WNBA leading the way and Black Lives Matter, I think that's also helped um, expose women's sports for what they really are. No, I think you make a great point. I remember years ago I had a buddy, uh, Roy Spence, who was the uh, – president of an ad agency in Austin, Texas, GSDNM, and he he talked about how they they were purpose driven. They were a <clears throat> purpose driven agency and they and they looked for what they called uh, brands that had specific niches. And I kidded him one day. I said, Roy, oh, that's great, but you're, you're Walmart's agency. He said, yeah, they have 92% of the people in America shop at Walmart. It's a great niche. <laughs> and I laughed. And, and I, then I thought the other day, I think women control about 80% of the purchasing power in America. Exactly. Why, why haven't marketers woken up to that reality? But like you said, it's going to take now women executives that are going to be the ones to say, I'm, I'm going to lead the way and, and, and go from there. You know, let me ask you this, because I, I don't want to be controversial, but it's always fun. Um, <laughs> talk about, if you can look back on your career at ESPN, where were some opportunities that were unmet that, you know, if you had your game over, you'd like to say, hey, I think this would work or that would work? Um, I'm going to, that's a great question, Rick. I'm going to point to once again sales and what i always call low-hanging fruit uh and maybe the model needed to be tweaked a little bit i always thought way before shark tank we should have um a lot of hungry little bees come together and put together you know a red team and a white team and give them the low-hanging fruit. And what I mean by that is our portfolio of, you know, golf, tennis, uh, women's sports, NCAA championships other than football. Just the the inventory that wasn't being sold out. And then um, have this red and this white team go out and sell it. 
And the team that came back with a few million dollars worth of advertisement got full-time jobs at ESPN <laughs> sales. Um, so I think, I think looking back, I wish that we had it doubled down on, on the low hanging fruit. Um, and as for, for programming, um, you know, it, it was key that when we renewed a lot of our college, um, contracts that the conferences came to us and said, we want to expose our Olympic sports and put it in writing and put it into the contract. And that, that was actually a positive. Therefore we had to deliver on more hours of women's basketball or women's softball or women's volleyball or soccer. So I'm not giving you a great example of what we missed, but thank goodness that those conferences um, thought and ESPN also thought of, of other sports that could grow. So growth opportunities um, were always really important for us to, you know, like I said, double down on. And I wish we had done that sooner. Well, I live on a tidal river and I, at, at low tide, I don't have enough water for the boat. And so I have to, I have to watch the tide before I launch the boat, we have an interesting tide right now, I think, that can be so advantageous for women's sports. Number one, you mentioned the social justice issues and the equality issues, but we also have an Olympic Games coming to America in 2028. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this, there's this unique window right now that can be exploited in a different way. You know, you know, Rob Temple, who worked with you for years and years, is now our new CEO. And when he was at host before he joined ESPN, when he wrote the architecture for the NCA Corporate Partner Program, he, he wrote this third tier. Yeah. And the third tier allowed the other sports to not sell against competitive categories that Turner and CBS had sold, but go after other categories. And that still has never come to fruition. And I think it's time for that. I looked at the the disparities that came out of the women's championship this year and, and, you know, the weight room and the, and just a whole lot of inequality still that existed. And I thought, I think there are brands like Dick's and others that would have said, I'd like to support just women's sports and not have to spend the millions of dollars to support March Madness on the men's side. I, I think that's an unmet opportunity in the marketplace right now, because I think the tide is turning towards women's sports. I think you're absolutely right. I hope that that some findings from this Kaplan report, which is due out on the inequalities that we saw in March on in men's basketball and women's basketball, shine the light on that. I also want to just make sure that I mention the fact that I think the timing using your tide is also important that we have streaming. And streaming has allowed us to showcase you know, a plethora of, of sports and storylines and behind the scene content um, that we never had before. And, and then the ACC network, SEC network and Longhorn network also help expand the hours of, of programming. So I want to make sure that I threw that in there as part of, you know, getting through, um, you know, the 90s and the 2000 and, and now into 2020 beyond. But streaming is going to be an important part because people can see when they you know you can time you don't all have to be in prime time anymore and no, I, think that no, was- I agree and and you proved then the the issue of what i call the loyal audience you know so many so many sports fans can be fickle and yet women's sports fans are not fickle they they are constant and and again i go back to that tire analogy 
they're ready to buy now and and it's the it's the right audience for for so many reasons you know one of my partners mike malay ran the disney wide world sports complex for years and, and he would talk about he said look you bring a men's tournament to disney you know you put four guys in a room you bring a women's event to disney you fill up a whole hotel room because mom comes mm-hmm. dad comes grandma comes everybody yeah. comes and so I, I did some research one time and found all the sports commissions were like if we want to have a soccer tournament we want to make sure it's a women's soccer tournament because mm-hmm. we fill up hotel rooms mm-hmm. uh and 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 so I, I, it's like at some point i want to go look just look at the numbers here mm-hmm. you know and and the number is dollar signs Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, and I think sometimes people don't don't do that. But I, I do agree with you that this may be the time. And mm-hmm. I know now that you've left ESPN, mm-hmm. what do you want to do next um, that can further the mission? Oh boy i <clears throat> I want to get some sleep at night. Number <laughs> one, <laughs> me. yeah, I just want figure out how we can crack this nut here and figure out uh, how to sell these wonderful like storylines and competition and competitiveness and they cheer for one another and 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 not solely look at at the ratings I know they're important but um, they deserve the support of Madison Avenue and it's time and I want to get some sleep so I want to I want to uh, continue to look at that. I really like the college space. I think there's some key learnings that we can take away from COVID-19 um, that could be implemented here. I was watching the Olympic uh, softball last night, and they have rules that move that game along a lot quicker than what we use in college. And I actually tweeted about it last night and said, hey, maybe we should look at some of these rules. Like the batter has to keep a foot in the box. The um, oh, well, the pitcher has to keep a, a foot on the mound. The mound. Yeah, yeah, doesn't have arm wrap to look at plays or what they want a pitch call or whatever. And that game just zoomed by quickly and it was fun and it was fast paced. And you know, people's attention span isn't as long as we want once had. Um, so you know, there's some key learnings there, but um, I want to just keep giving back to the growth of women's sports in, in short. Well, I think next year with the 50th anniversary of Title IX, it's going to be such a celebratory. I know one of the last things that you were working on at ESPN was kind of a series that's going to document, you know, what has happened in women's sports since Title IX was 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 legislated. Talk a little bit about that. I would love to. Thanks, Rick. Um, <clears throat> we announced uh, during the sales upfront um, a project called 5050. That will be the, the the working title for our 50th uh, anniversary and documentation of uh, Title IX, which is June 23rd, uh, 22. So, yeah, we have um, uh, have Dawn Porter, who's a fabulous producer, uh, produced for uh, many films, but one is the RFK uh, assassination at 40 years and, and some other social justice type films. So she's going to put it together a four part series for ESPN. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to, we launched it. We're going to hit it again. We're going to announce something in October at the ESPN W summit. Then in early January, we hope that a lot of our um, 
college and pro athletes will start wearing a 50-50 patch, not just on women's jerseys, but men's jerseys. It's, it's you know, 50-50 is a quality for all, by the way. It's not just for women's sports and, and women in college. It's for, for equality in college and, and any, any uh, school receiving federal money has to, um, has to abide by Title IX's law. And then when we get to um, March, we will really start rolling out more stories. We're planning on doing 50 stories to go with the 50-50. They could be short form. They could be a podcast like today, and they could be the film. It's a four-part series film. And once we get to June 1st, which will be right after the College World Series, uh, the month of June is just going to be full and chock full of amazing content and Dawn Porter's film will debut on that first Wednesday and go Wednesday. Um, last note is this is um, a rollout across company-wide, which means all of Disney's platforms. We had spoken to even Hulu, um, Nat Geo, uh, of course, all the Disney uh, platforms. And this is not just an ESPN, um, you know, rollout uh, of content. It's, it's, it's across all of our uh, platforms Disney wide, and we're hoping that the college uh, entities will wrap their arms around this as well. But all the conferences are starting to talk about it and getting their plans rolled out. So it's exciting times, and uh, it was it was fun to work on that project. Well, I do believe the tide is turning, and I, and I will say this: you you've been a big part of that tide turning. Um, you know, the times we've worked together has been a joy. I know so many people that owe you a debt of gratitude for what you've done to help grow women's athletics. And and I know you're not finished, and I think it's going to be really exciting. And I, I just really, Carol, can't thank you enough for being with us today from the oh, bridge. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate it. Thank you, and good luck to you. It's now time to jump back up on the soapbox. I have a confession to make to all of y'all today. Like so many people, I hate to admit it, but I am prejudiced. I'm prejudiced against sorry people, lazy people, incompetent people, thoughtless people, and yes, people who are prejudiced against others because of race, sex, ethnicity, or sexual orientation. I simply do not understand racism or anti-Semitism or why women are paid less than men to do the same job. I just don't get it. My son wrote a terrific rap song a few years ago called Labels. The first stanza asked this, is George Strait? Is Marvin Gaye? Is Clint Black? Is Barry White? In other words, why do we label human beings and then look down on them because of these so-called labels? I hope I live up to a standard to see and accept people as they are and not label them. I hope I have and will continue to be a champion for giving all sorts of folks an opportunity. Years ago, when I worked at Advantage International, there was a joke that you were either one of Harlan Stone's boys or you were one of Rick Jones's girls. I'm lucky that people felt that way about me. And I'm lucky that I have my own Carol Stiff in my life and in my business that makes both me and our business better every day. Her name is Brittany Schiller, and we've worked together for over 15 years. 
She does all the things I don't do or don't know how to do or really don't care to do, which is really the truth. Our clients love her because she takes care of them like she takes care of me. Oh, yeah. Brittany started as an intern at the Women's Basketball Coaches Association and then joined Fishbait as employee number one. She's now a senior vice president and oversees our college sports division. How'd she do that? Simple. She had an opportunity. She took advantage of that opportunity and did it the old-fashioned way. She earned it. So let me ask you, who's out there looking to you for that same type of opportunity? Please give it to her. And that's my view from the soapbox. Speaking of Brittany, as you know, we are a virtual agency with everyone working for their homes in now eight different states. I recently was up visiting and working with Brittany at her Pasadena, Maryland home. And while I was up there, I found a terrific diner near her house for lunch on the road with Rick. It's the Double T Diner, and there are several in that Maryland area. Now, it's the classic diner food with a huge menu. Let me repeat myself. A huge menu, a phone book menu. I know many of you are out there saying, what's a phone book? But there used to be these things that were really, really thick, and that's their menu at the Double T Diner. They have gigantic breakfast, wonderful homemade soup, salad so big you take half of it home, plus the diner classics like chopped steak, grilled pork chops, chicken parmigiana, steaks, and pasta dishes. And they also have Greek food since the owners are of Greek descent. Plus, you're in Maryland, so they have great seafood, too. I had a soft-shell crab sandwich plus a cup of clam chowder, and it was wonderful. Charlotte had a grilled chicken salad with all the fixings. Next time you're in Maryland, look for the Double Tea Diner. If you can't find anything you like here, then you'll never be happy. It's the Double T Diner on the road with Rick. Wow, what a show. Thanks to Carol Steff for both being my guest and for everything she has done and continues to do for women's sports. We'll see you back here next week from the bridge.
Rest 